section eight of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly Crake. chapter two part two schools and universities schools and other seminaries of learning however were greatly multiplied in this age and were also elevated in their character in england as well as elsewhere both archbishop lanfranc and his successor anselm exerted themselves with great zeal in establishing proper schools in connection with the cathedrals and monasteries in all parts of the kingdom and the object was one which was also patronized and promoted by the general voice of the church in eleven seventy nine it was ordered by the third general council of lateran that in every cathedral there should be appointed and maintained a head-teacher or scholastic as was the title given to him who besides keeping a school of his own should have authority over all the other schoolmasters of the diocese and the sole right of granting licenses without which no one should be entitled to teach in former times the bishop himself had frequently undertaken the office of scholastic of the diocese but its duties were rarely efficiently performed under that arrangement and at length they seem to have come to be generally altogether neglected after the custom was introduced of maintaining it as a distinct office it was filled in many cases by the most learned persons of the time and besides these cathedral schools there were others established in all the religious houses many of which were also of high reputation it is reckoned that of religious houses of all kinds there were founded in england no fewer than five hundred and fifty-seven between the conquest and the death of king john and besides these there still existed many others that had been founded in earlier times all these cathedral and conventual schools however appear to have been intended exclusively for the instruction of persons proposing to make the church their profession but mention is also made of others established both in many of the principal cities and even in the villages which would seem to have been open to the community at large for it may be presumed that the laity though generally excluded from the benefits of a learned education were not left wholly without the means of obtaining some elementary instruction some of these city schools however were eminent as institutes of the highest departments of learning one in particular is mentioned in the history ascribed to matthew paris as established in the town of st albans which was presided over by matthew a physician who had been educated at the famous school of salerno in italy and by his nephew gerinus who was eminent for his knowledge of the civil and canon laws and where we may therefore suppose instructions were given both in law and in medicine according to the account of london by william stephanides or fitzstephen written in the reign of henry the second there were then three of these schools of a higher order established in london besides several others that were occasionally opened by distinguished teachers the london schools however do not seem to have been academies of science and the higher learning like that of st albans fitzstephen's description would rather lead us to infer that although they were attended by pupils of different ages and degrees of proficiency they were merely schools of grammar rhetoric and dialectics 
on holidays he says it is usual for these schools to hold public assemblies in the churches in which the scholars engage in demonstrative or logical disputations some using enthymemes and others perfect syllogisms some aiming at nothing but to gain the victory and make an ostentatious display of their acuteness while others have the investigation of truth in view artful sophists on these occasions acquire great applause some by a prodigious inundation and flow of words others by their specious but fallacious arguments after the disputations other scholars deliver rhetorical declamations in which they observe all the rules of art and neglect no topic of persuasion even the younger boys in the different schools contend against each other in verse about the principles of grammar and the preterites and supines of verbs the twelfth century may be considered as properly the age of the institution of what we now call universities in europe though many of the establishments that then assumed the regular form of universities had undoubtedly existed long before as schools or studia this was the case with the oldest of the european universities with bologna and paris and also in all probability with oxford and cambridge but it may be questioned if even bologna the mother of all the rest was entitled by any organization or constitution it had received to take a higher name than a school or studium before the latter part of this century it is admitted that it was not till about the year twelve hundred that the school out of which the university of paris arose had come to subsist as an incorporation divided into nations and presided over by a rector the university of oxford properly so called is probably of nearly the same antiquity it seems to have been patronized and fostered by richard i as that of paris was by his great rival philip augustus both oxford and cambridge had undoubtedly been eminent seats of learning long before this time as london st albans and other cities had also been but there is no evidence that either the one or the other had at an earlier date become anything more than a great school or even that it was distinguished by any assigned rank of, or privileges above the other great schools of the kingdom in the reign of richard i we find the university of oxford recognized as an establishment of the same kind with the university of paris and as the rival of that seminary we have the following account of what is commonly deemed the origin of the university of cambridge in the continuation of the history of ingulfus attributed to peter of blois under the year eleven o nine Geoffrey, abbot of croyland sent to his manor of cottonham near cambridge master giselbert his fellow monk and professor of theology with three other monks who had followed him into england who being very well instructed in philosophical theorems and other primitive sciences went every day to cambridge and having hired a certain public barn taught the sciences openly and in a little time collected a great concourse of scholars for in the very second year after their arrival the number of their scholars from the town and country increased so much that there was no house barn nor church capable of containing them for this reason they separated into different parts of the town and imitating the plan of the studium of orleans brother otto who was eminent as a grammarian and satirical poet read grammar according to the doctrine of Priscian and of his commentator remigius to the boys and younger students that were assigned to him early in the morning at one o'clock brother tericus a most acute sophist read the logic of aristotle according to the introductions and commentaries of porphyry and averroes to those who were further advanced 
at three brother william read lectures on tully's rhetoric and quintilian's institutions the master giselbert being ignorant of the english but very expert in the latin and french languages preached in the several churches to the people on sundays and holidays the history in which this passage occurs is as will presently be shown as apocryphal as that of which it professes to be the continuation but even if we are to waive the question of its authenticity there is here no hint of any sort of incorporation or public establishment whatever the description is merely that of a school set on foot and conducted by an association of private individuals and even this private school would seem to have been first opened only in the year eleven o nine although there may possibly have been other schools taught in the place before it may be gathered from what is added that at the time when the account if it was written by peter bois must have been drawn up the latter part of the same century the school founded by giselbert and his companions had attained to great celebrity but there is nothing to lead us to suppose that it had even then become more than a very distinguished school from this little fountain he says which hath swelled into a great river we now behold the city of god made glad and all england rendered fruitful by many teachers and doctors issuing from cambridge after the likeness of the holy paradise notwithstanding however the rising reputation of oxford and cambridge the most ambitious of the english students continued to resort for part of their education to the more distinguished foreign schools during the whole of the twelfth century thus it is recorded that several volumes of the arabian philosophy were brought into england by daniel murlach who in the year eleven eighty five had gone to toledo to study mathematics salerno was still the chief school of medicine and bologna of law although oxford was also becoming famous for the latter study but as a place of general instruction the university of paris stood at the head of all others paris was then wont to be styled by way of pre-eminence the city of letters so many englishmen or to speak more strictly subjects of the english crown were constantly found among the students at this great seminary that they formed one of the four nations into which the members of the university were divided the english students are described by their countrymen the poet nagellus wyrecker in the latter part of the twelfth century in such a manner as to show that they were already noted for that spirit of display and expense which still makes so prominent a part of our continental reputation moribus agregiae werbo woltique venusti ingenio polent consilique vigent dona pluant populus et detestantur avaris fercula multiplicant et sine lege vivant of noble manners gracious look in speech strong sense with genius brightened shines in each their free hand still reigns largesse when they dine course follows course in rivers flows the wine among the students at the university of paris in the twelfth century are to be found nearly all the most distinguished names among the learned of every country one of the teachers the celebrated abelard is said to have alone had as pupils twenty persons who afterwards became cardinals and more than fifty who rose to be bishops and archbishops thomas Becket received part of his education here several of the most eminent teachers were englishmen among these may be particularly mentioned robert of melun so called from having first taught in that city and robert white or apulis as he is called in latin robert of milan who afterwards became bishop of hereford distinguished himself by the zeal and ability with which he opposed the novel views which 
the rising sect of the nominalists were then introducing both into philosophy and theology he is the author of several theological treatises none of which however have been printed robert white after teaching some years at paris where he was attended by crowded audiences was induced to return to his own country where he is said to have read lectures on theology at oxford for five years which greatly contributed to spread the renown of that rising seminary after having declined a bishopric offered to him by henry i he went to reside at rome in eleven forty three on the invitation of celestine the second and was soon after made a cardinal and chancellor of the holy see one work written by him has been printed a summary of theology under the then common title of the book of sentences which has the reputation of being distinguished by the superior correctness of its style and the lucidness of its method another celebrated name among the englishmen who are recorded to have studied at paris in those days is that of nicholas breakspeare who afterwards became pope by the title of adrian the fourth but of all others john of salisbury deserves to be here mentioned it is in his writings that we find the most complete account that has reached us not only of the mode of study followed at paris but of the entire learning of the age rise of the scholastic philosophy at this time those branches of literary and scientific knowledge which were specially denominated the arts were considered as divided into two great classes the first or more elementary of which comprehending grammar rhetoric and logic was called the trivium the second comprehending music arithmetic geometry and astronomy the quadrivium the seven arts so classified used to be thus enumerated in a latin hexameter lingua tropus ratio numeris tonus angulus astra or with definitions subjoined in two still more singularly constructed verses grammar loquitur dialectic vera docet rhetoric verba colorat music cadet arithmetic numerat geography ponderat astronomy colit astra john of salisbury speaks of this system of the sciences as an ancient one in his day the trivium and quadrivium he says in his work entitled metologicus were so much admired by our ancestors in former ages that they imagined they comprehended all wisdom and learning and were sufficient for the solution of all questions and the removing of all difficulties for whoever understood the trivium could explain all manner of books without a teacher but he who was farther advanced and was master also of the quadrivium could answer all questions and unfold all the secrets of nature the present age however had outgrown the simplicity of this arrangement and various new studies have been added to the ancient seven as necessary to complete the circle of the sciences and the curriculum of a liberal education it was now in particular that theology first came to be ranked as a science this was the age of st bernard the last of the fathers and of peter lombard the first of the schoolmen the distinction between these two classes of writers is that the latter do and the former do not treat their subject in a systematizing spirit the change was the consequence of the cultivation of the aristotelian logic and metaphysics when these studies were first introduced into the schools of the west they were wholly unconnected with theology but especially at a time when all the learned were churchmen it was impossible that the great instrument of thought and reasoning could long remain unapplied to the most important of all the subjects of thought the subject of religion it has already been remarked that john aragina and other irish divines introduced philosophy and metaphysics into the discussion of questions of religion as early as the ninth century 
and they are consequently entitled to be regarded as having first set the example of the method afterwards pursued by the schoolmen but although the influence of their writings may probably be traced in preparing the way for the introduction of the scholastic system and also afterwards perhaps in modifying its spirit that system was derived immediately in the shape in which it appeared in the eleventh and twelfth centuries from another source erigena was a platonist the spirit of his philosophy was that of the school of alexandria but the first schoolmen properly so called were aristotelians they drew their logic and metaphysics originally from the latin translations of the works of aristotle made from the arabic and they may also have been indebted for some of their views to the commentaries of the arabic doctors but whether they took their method of philosophy entirely from the ancient heathen sage or in part from his modern mohammedan interpreters and illustrators it could in neither case have had at first any necessary or natural alliance with christianity yet it very soon as we have said formed this alliance both lanfranc and anselm although not commonly reckoned among the schoolmen were imbued with the spirit of the new learning and it is infused throughout their theological writings abelard soon after before he was yet a churchman may almost be considered to have wielded it as a weapon of scepticism even so used however religion was still the subject to which it was applied at last came peter lombard who by the publication about the middle of the twelfth century of his celebrated four books of sentences properly founded the system of what is called the scholastic theology the schoolmen from the master and the sentences as lombard was designated down to francis suarez who died after the commencement of the seventeenth century were all theologians although however religious speculation was the field of thought upon which the spirit of the aristotelian philosophy chiefly expended itself there was scarcely any one of the arts or sciences upon which it did not in some degree seize the scholastic logic became the universal instrument of thought and study every branch of human learning was attempted to be pursued by its assistance and most branches were more or less affected by its influence in regard to the forms which they assumed john of salisbury peter of blois john of salisbury went to complete his education at paris in the year eleven thirty six when i beheld he writes in a letter to his friend becket the reverence paid to the clergy the majesty and glory of the whole church and the various occupations of those who applied themselves to philosophy in that city it raised my admiration as if i had seen the ladder of jacob the top of which reached to heaven while the steps were crowded with angels ascending and descending the first master whose lectures he attended was the renowned abelard still after all the vicissitudes of his life teaching with undiminished glory in the midst of a vast confluence of admiring disciples on the mount of st genevieve i drank in says his english pupil with incredible avidity every word that fell from his lips but he soon to my infinite regret retired abelard lived only a few years after this date which he spent in devotion and entire seclusion from the world john of salisbury then studied dialectics for two years under two other masters one of whom was his countryman robert de melun mentioned above after this he returned to the study of grammar and rhetoric which he pursued for three years under william de conche of whose method of teaching he has left a particular account it appears to have embraced a critical exposition both of the style and the matter of the writers commented upon and to have been well calculated to nourish both the understanding and the taste after this he spent seven years under other masters partly in the further prosecution of his acquaintance with the writers of antiquity in the practice of latin composition 
partly in the study of the mathematics and theology the entire course thus occupied twelve years but some it would appear devoted the whole of this time to the study of dialectics or logic alone john of salisbury's treatise entitled metalogicus is intended principally to expose the absurdity and injurious effects of this exclusive devotion to the art of wrangling and although it must be considered as written with some degree of satirical license the representation which it gives of the state of things produced by the new spirit that had gone abroad over the realms of learning is very curious and interesting the turn of the writer's own genius was decidedly to the rhetorical rather than the metaphysical and he was not very well qualified perhaps to perceive certain of the uses or recommendations of the study against which he directs his attack but the extravagances of its devotees it may be admitted fairly exposed them to his ridicule and castigation i wish he says in one place to behold the light of truth which these logicians say is only revealed to them i approach them i beseech them to instruct me that if possible i may become as wise as one of them they consent they promise great things and at first they command me to observe a pythagorean silence that i may be admitted into all the secrets of wisdom which they pretend are in their possession but by and by they permit and even command me to prattle and quibble with them this they call disputing this they say is logic but i am no wiser he accuses them of wasting their ingenuity in the discussion of such puerile puzzles as whether a person in buying a whole cloak also bought the cow or whether when a hog was carried to market with a rope tied about its neck and held at the other end by a man the hog was really carried to market by the man or by the rope it must be confessed that if their logic had been worth much it ought to have made short work with these questions supposing them to be worth settling at all our author adds however that they were declared to be questions which could not be solved the arguments on both sides exactly balancing each other but his quarrel with the dialecticians was chiefly on the ground of the disregard and aversion they manifested in their method of exercising the intellectual powers to all polite literature to all that was merely graceful and ornamental and there can be no question that the ascendancy of the scholastic philosophy was fatal for the time to the cultivation of polite literature in europe so long as it reigned supreme in the schools learning was wholly divorced from taste the useful utterly rejected all connection with the beautiful the head looked down with contempt upon the heart poetry and fiction and whatever else belonged to the imaginative part of our nature were abandoned altogether to the unlearned to the makers of songs and lays for the people it was probably fortunate for poetry and the kindred forms of literature in the end that they were thus left solely to the popular cultivation for a time they drew nourishment and new life from the new soil into which they were transplanted and their produce has been the richer and the racier for it ever since the revival of polite literature probably came at a better time in the fifteenth than if it had come in the twelfth century yet it was not to be expected that when it was threatened with blight and extinction at the earlier era its friends should either have been able to foresee its resurrection two or three centuries later or should have been greatly consoled by that prospect if they had john of salisbury's chief work is his polycraticon or as he further entitles it a treatise in eight books on the frivolities of courtiers and the footsteps of philosophers de nugis curialium et vestigius philosophorum it is says wharton an extremely pleasant miscellany replete with erudition and a judgment of men and things which properly belongs to a more sensible and reflecting period 
his familiar acquaintance with the classics appears not only from the happy facility of his language but from the many citations of the purest roman authors with which his works are perpetually interspersed he also wrote latin verses with extreme elegance john of salisbury died bishop of chartres in eleven eighty two peter of bois or petrus blesensis a native of the town in france from which he takes his name was another distinguished cultivator of polite literature in the same age among the writings he has left us his letters collected by himself to the number of one hundred and thirty four are especially interesting abounding as they do in graphic descriptions of the manners and characters of the time but neither in elegance of taste and style nor in general literary accomplishment is the frenchman to be compared with his english contemporary End of section eight